when you hear the phrase house church in China, what image comes to your mind? A guest we're going to call Uncle Monty says, don't assume that members of house churches are huddled together on the defensive, afraid to do anything for God's kingdom. For 20 years, I was working with five of the six largest house church movements in China. And we were training them to send their missionaries to the Muslim world. And they've led hundreds and hundreds of Kurds to Christ. And so one of the great places you can go and have an absolutely fantastic time is go into Eastern Lebanon and work among the Kurds and work among our Chinese missionaries and meet some of the bravest people in the world. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are in the studio today in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, with a guest. Uh, We are going to give a new title. I don't think we've ever had an uncle before, but we're talking today with Uncle Monty. Uh, The reason we call him that is because he serves as an uncle, really an encourager of persecuted Christians and especially pastors working in hostile and restricted nations around the world. Uncle Monty, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Well, thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here, Todd. You have been in more than 150 countries. Correct. When you're called on to offer training and offer advice to pastors who are working in places where they could be persecuted, and and some of them already have been persecuted, what's the most important thing or the most important principle that you want them to grab a hold of or that you want to share and encourage them to develop? Let's think about a group of 105 pastors I was, I was with a few years ago on an island. This was uh, Zanzibar off the coast of uh, uh, what used to be called Tanganyika. It's now Tanzania. These were most of the evangelical pastors on the, on the whole island, and it's 97% Muslim. They were all together for the week, and the very first day— This is your meeting, not mine. It's not going to be what I tell you. It's going to be what you learn. And I divided them into smaller groups. We had a course that they went through, but the entire week was being in small groups, interacting together with the scriptures. I would give some input, but it usually was to help clarify or summarize things. And they gave feedback for five hours. They kept talking wow. at the end, giving their their input. And, and one of them kind of led the parade at the beginning. And he said, when you got up, uh, I was expecting that it was another Westerner who was just going to be here and talk. And we would just sit back and be critical and uh, maybe doze. We would see if there was anything that, w- that would be of interest. But when you made us start working the very first hour, and it was all the responsibility was put on us, well, then one of the things that just was a stunner to us was that we could learn from the Bible ourselves. We didn't have to 
have a guest come in and wow. tell us. And we could also learn from each other. And we have viewed each other as, as competition. And now, but we've sat together all this week. We've become good friends. And we know their situation. And, and we can learn from, from them as well. We, and so we learned we could learn from God. And we could learn from each other. And that we didn't have to just have you. And so that's where I'm coming from. That's what I want them to do. Because I can only be there a little bit. And I can only be there once in a while. And that's why we call me an uncle is because I'm not their father. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm not the one that led them to faith. I'm not their spiritual father. But I, I, an uncle is still a title of, um, of respect. It's still a member of the family. It's still somebody that you listen to and you, and you love. And so you can have that kind of come alongside and give them a hug kind of uh, role with them and be a spiritual uncle. So that's what we do. Was that always your philosophy to— That was always our philosophy. Okay. The very first experience my wife and I ever had as uh, missionaries was three weeks after we were married. And we took a team of eight to um, Asmara, Eritrea in the middle of a civil war. So I had all of my knowledge. I had all the stuff that I wanted to share. And then I found that none of it worked, that none of it was what they wanted, and that the first thing I needed to do was just come as a learner and a listener, be their friend, build trust. And and so that's how we started. And then I realized that here's all these uh, Western organizations, and they've all got their can spiels, and they go overseas, and they dump their load, and they say, why did I ever hit a home run? They come back, tell all their great stories, and it had no impact at all on the, on the people. So what, what all that has caused us to do is not say we have a, a canned program, and we're going to be here to take you through all of it, and we want to hire you to be a part of our church planting scheme or whatever it is. In fact, what we want to do is we simply want to come alongside, find out what God is doing in their midst, and say, is there any way that we can help you? And if there is, then we'll come alongside, try and figure out what are the best ways we can help them. That's what we're going to do with a group of pastors among the Fulani people this, this next week. I'm going to sit with them for a week. I've already got my five-year multiple entry visa for this country, but I'm not going to tell them that until the end. But I want to find out whether whether I should keep coming back uh, many times over the next five years and disciple these guys. And if I should, it's all going to become very evident in the very first week. And it's all going to be on how they respond, what I see going on in their lives, and then I will make that decision at the end of the week. And so at this point, all they know is I'm coming in for a one-time thing, and we'll just have a great time that week. But we'll see whether the Lord uh, opens up a door that we then make a long-term commitment to work with these guys over a long period of time. How long does it take the pastors that you're meeting with to realize, hey, this American is different from some of the Americans we've met in the past? Okay, um, I'll give you another example from South Sudan. And we had um, a whole group of pastors from all over uh, South Sudan come. It was just a few months after it had become an independent country. So this was just after July 2011. They all came, 
And uh, there was one who was the spokesperson at the end of the week. Oftentimes there is. And he said, when I saw the syllabus that, that you had brought, I laughed. I said, this is a joke. That's what he said. <laughs> this, is, this is nothing. It's just like 20 pages. He said, we're going to be through that in the first day. Then what are we going to do the last four days or whatever? And, and he said, boy, was I wrong. Because he said, the way you had it structured, we had to interact with each other. We were finding out uh, ministry experiences that each of us had. Uh, we were going deeply into the scriptures. We had all kinds of passages that we, were, that we were looking at. Everybody was learning in the evenings when we all said, uh, when you said, well, we're not going to have meetings at night. We all said, no, let's keep meeting at night too because this is too important because we're dealing with our own lives and issues that affect us. And, and so they wanted to meet more and more. He says, boy, what, was I ever wrong? And he says, and now I can see why you have this flimsy little handout because it's something any of us can copy and distribute. And it, we don't have to make it shiny, make it look like something from the West. It's something, and, it's, and we had it in Arabic. We had it in English. We, I think we had it in three different languages. So they could pick whatever they right. wanted to use. And if it's real expensive looking, they're not going to be able to pass it on. Yeah. How, how big of a deal is it for these pastors simply to be with other pastors and to fellowship? It's a huge deal together? because sometimes, like in Nepal, uh, there's lots of mountains. For many years, I was meeting with as many as uh, 165 pastors at a time. And uh, there was, at one point, 377 in one network. And they had 3,000 churches that they were involved in. And then by um, about five years later, it was up to 5,200. But these were all churches in villages and in, uh, up in high mountains and in lots of different places all around the country. They have very few opportunities to get together where they can meet pastors from other parts of the country. They're, they're living in isolated valleys. And so uh, for them to be able to be together, hear each other's stories, hear how they've suffered, but so, so is this other guy in this other valley. He's suffered the same way. It's tremendously encouraging. This is one of the reasons that Voice of the Martyrs sponsors pastor training and pastor conferences like this, simply to build that fellowship within the body of Christ. We're about fellowship between the American body of Christ and the body of Christ in restricted nations. We're also about fellowship in the body of Christ in those nations. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Uncle Monty. We are not using his last name intentionally because he travels in and out of restricted nations to meet with Christians. Monty, we've talked about pastors, and I know pastors are targeted by the persecutors. They're also obviously targeted by Satan. Why is that so important? What what happens when a pastor is wounded or injured or taken out of the ministry to the people who are following behind him or her? A pastor in Nepal who had just been asked to head up a countrywide ministry. I'll just leave it at that. Um, it's It's been modified since there was a an explosion, and this will sound bizarre, but it ha it did happen. 
like a hundred yards away at some factory and a, a, a huge giant piece of concrete went flying in the air and came crashing through uh, this thin little roof in the building that he was preaching in, in the middle of his sermon, and it absolutely flattened him on the on the floor oh and killed him on impact. Wow. Yeah. And so the first thought that you would have is everybody is going to run. But that that isn't the case. They didn't know if they if they were being attacked or or what. And so it turns into um, um, a memorial service on the spot. And there's been lots of other places I can think of around the world where a pastor was killed right in the middle of his service, and they turned it into a funeral, into a memorial service. And everybody stays, and that's, that's, that is what happened. Uh, I know you've talked about Boko Haram on, on, on the radio in the, in the past. Well, it began uh, up in the northeast of uh, in, in uh, Nigeria, and there's uh, six uh, northeast states there. Um, a few years ago, we did a BOM event there with 50-some of these pastors. And I remember one of the ones, Daniel, he was not killed. Sometimes the pastor is targeted and killed. Sometimes they think the best way is to kill all the people, and then that will make the pastor give up. He's standing next to me. He had 700 in his church, Pastor Daniel. Boko Haram comes through town. Uh, afterwards, he has 150 in his church. Wow. All the little girls were kidnapped and taken away to be sex slaves. All the boys were kidnapped to be new soldier recruits. A lot of the men and women were killed. Some of them that were able to uh, ran away, fled into Cameroon or Chad. Uh, But that's all that was left in his church. And he said, "We're, we're going on. He said, even if nobody else was at this gathering except me, he said, it was worth it for you to come and just meet with me because I'm going to continue and I'm going to keep on discipling and we're going to keep having more and more people come in, into this church. The, our ministry is not over. So sometimes you've got to minister to the pastors that have, that have gone through these hard situations so that they stay firm and they continue. We do case studies. Every one of our courses has units, and in every unit we have a case study. They may go as, as, through as many as 8 or 10 or 12 different case studies in a week. Well, some of the case studies have to do with uh, soldiers come into your service, and they say, uh, this is your one warning. Uh, if you are all still here next Sunday morning, we're going we're gonna to shoot every one of you. And so just know that you've been warned and you're not to meet anymore. And then they leave. Uh, so now you're the pastor. You gather with some other pastors later that week and you talk and you pray and you fast and you say, what should we do? So you're, you're in that group of pastors. What are you guys in, in your circle that are meeting with me today? You talk about it. What are you going to tell this pastor? What's your advice? Wow. Okay. So we have those kinds of case studies that are real life yeah. that have actually happened and that uh, 
that they have to work on and come up with a, a viable solution. And then they share their ideas with all the others. And people will applaud and they'll clap. They'll say, wow, that's a great idea. And others will say, what was that verse again? And they'll take notes down because th- this is their life. Their life is on the line. And so you can imagine how they're electric, the, these events. And the stories. Like you say, it's their life. It's not like they have to really use their imagination to put themselves in that position. No, no, that could happen. Uh, it could happen even this Sunday. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Uncle Monty. He is an uncle to persecuted Christians, especially pastors around the world. You have been a, a missions pastor. In, in addition to what you do overseas, you've been a missions pastor here in the United States. What's the hardest part about being a missions pastor in an American church? Uh, The hardest part about being a missions pastor in an American church is not getting discouraged because everywhere you see our church members are biblically illiterate. Let Let me just even give you one example. In Russia in the 50s, there was 700 young people that they had at a at a certain retreat, and they did a special exercise. And they said, you are all now in prison, which was could very easily happen to them in the 50s. We want you to get in small groups and write out all four of the Gospels. So they all got together and they worked on it. And they had so much fun, they decided to do the book of Acts as well. And there was only seven places where they were a little fuzzy where they didn't exactly get every verse. But otherwise, they had all first five books of the New Testament they did in Russia from memory. Okay? They did that same event about five years after the Soviet Union broke up, and they did the same thing again, and none of the kids could even write even one verse from any of the books. Because once they got freedom, they forgot everything. They didn't need to memorize it. And so that's going to be one of the great problems that a pastor has to work with, with his young people and with those that want to go into missions. Most of them don't know the Bible, and they're not prepared for where, where they need to go. And when they do go, what's so startling to me is they show up in some uh, African nation in the, in the airport, and they've all got their orange t-shirts on, you know, with their signage on the, the back, and there's 20 church. of them with the name of their church, <laughs> and here we are, and they're, and they're yelling to each other across the airport, and they're acting like Americans, and uh, that is not what is needed today. That's the last thing that we need to be doing. Our emphasis on uh, what I call the American ABCs, accumulation, busyness, and comfort, our ABCs. Those are the things that everybody's dealing with and consumed by, and it's very hard to get them to to get involved. One pastor uh, said to me, I would be crazy to adopt an unreached people for our church. First of all, most of them, they're unreached because they're hard to get at, and they're unreached (laughs) because they're Muslim, 
and it's going to take a long time before I could give a lot of good news on on all the th- good things that's happened. It might be five or ten years. He or says 20. we've got to have we've got to have projects that we can do like four times a year, a different project, and keep them entertained and keep it moving. And it it, it can't possibly be an unreached people project. So a pa- a missions pastor is even going to have things that are going to challenge him to the core in terms of his missiological principles. How does that fit in with, with the way American churches are, are thinking and functioning? I would encourage you, if you are a missions pastor, don't don't grow discouraged. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear if uh, the stories that we share and on I Voice of the Martyrs— And I would love to help them. Yes, and I can connect you with Uncle Monty as well. To encourage you, you can find a way to contact us at vomradio.net. There is a uh, feedback box at the bottom of the page. Just send me a note. Say, hey, I want to go on one of these trips with Uncle Monty, and I will forward the notes to Uncle Monty uh, so that he can respond to you and and give you more details and connect with you. We have a man here uh, with Voice of the Martyrs that works full-time organizing uh, training events all around the country every year in local churches where people from Voice of the Martyrs will come in and they will, for a whole day, uh, one day experience. Advanced conferences. Advanced conferences and the perspectives course for a semester. Those would be two great ways as a missions pastor to begin mobilizing your people. That's great advice. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Uncle Monty. He is a former missions pastor. He's also an uncle to persecuted Christians, especially pastors in hostile and restricted nations. Monty, as we close out our conversation, we always like to equip our listeners to pray. Pastors working in hostile and restricted nations, the the people that you work with and mentor and encourage, how do we pray for them? Just know that what you hear going on is not the whole story, that there's always incredible things going on behind the scenes that nobody knows that if everyone would know, their jaws would just fall on the ground. For 20 years, I was working with five of the six largest house church movements in China, and we were training them to send their missionaries to the Muslim world. Now, about 100 of them from one house church movement has gone to nearly 20 countries. Wow. And here are these Chinese missionaries, and they've led hundreds and hundreds of Kurds to Christ. They've fled Syria as Kurdish refugees. They've come into Lebanon. They meet all these Chinese missionaries. There's nobody else working with them. There's no Americans. There's no other Asians, no Westerners. There's nobody but the, but the Chinese. Wow. And the Chinese have now raised up a whole church among all these 200,000 Kurdish refugees that are living in Lebanon. And so one of the great places you can go and have an absolutely fantastic time is go into eastern Lebanon and work among the Kurds and work among our Chinese missionaries and meet some of the bravest people in the world. I just was with one, and we prayed with her for two days, and she got in an Uber and drove across (laughs) the border to Damascus, and she's going to live now in Damascus, and she says, I'm going to die, and off she went. Wow. So just know that you might hear a lot of really bad things about Syrian refugees or whatever, but just know that 
but there's all kinds of unbelievably positive things going on as well. Uh, Uncle Monty, thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your partnership with Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, and thanks for being our guest this week on VOM Radio. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Todd. You've been listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. If you are just joining us and you want to hear this entire conversation, you can go to vomradio.net. Again, vomradio.net. You can hear our conversation with Uncle Monty. You can also hear all of our previous guests, uh, including some from some of the countries he's talked about, from China, uh, from the Middle East, from Africa, uh, people who will share their stories and encourage you as well. And I want to encourage you to be back next week here on VOM Radio. Imagine someone you love being kidnapped, and three years later, you still don't know what happened to them. February 13th marks the third anniversary of the kidnapping of Pastor Raymond Coe in Malaysia. Next week, we're going to hear from his wife, Susanna. She'll tell us about the day that he disappeared and about the grief her family has endured since. But she'll also remind us how God was preparing Raymond and how God has been faithful to her and to their children. We're going to share some very specific ways that you can get involved to help find answers to the mystery of what happened to Pastor Raymond Coe. That's next week. You won't want to miss it right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.